If you have your Bibles, you can open to Ephesians chapter 2. And none of us here today are surprised that Doug was sent to the principal's office. Can everybody say amen? Didn't surprise me one single bit. The AP Wire Service reported several years ago about a story of a Tennessee highway patrolman who pulled over a car driving down the highway with three flat tires and all four windows were broken out of the car. It was dented in on the top of the car, indicating that the car had not only been in a car accident, that the car had been rolled over in a rollover car accident. And amazingly, whenever the patrolman pulled over the woman, she was surprised at the fact that she had been in a car accident. She didn't even know. She didn't know until she rolled down the window and noticed that there's no glass there, And the patrolman said, you've been in an accident. That was the first time she realized she'd been in an accident, a rollover accident. The patrolman asked her, have you had any beers to drink? She said she'd had two or three, but the breathalyzer indicated that she'd had much more than two or three. Can you imagine the surprise to be in a rollover accident and to learn of it hours later driving down the road? Can you imagine the surprise? that many people are going to have when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ and they are surprised at the fact that they are lost. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 25, Luke chapter 14 all indicate that there are going to be people who stand before God surprised that there is a God, surprised that there is a heaven and hell, and surprised that they have never responded to Jesus the way that God has asked us to respond to Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The way you and I respond to that truth right there determines whether we live in eternity with God or in eternity without God. How have you responded to John 3.16? How have you responded to Jesus in your life already? And I don't claim to know all the ins and outs of the Bible If you ever meet a guy with more questions about the Bible, it's the guy standing up here right now. But I want to make sure I get this right. How does one become a Christian? How does one become saved? How does one properly respond to God's love through his son, Jesus Christ? If there's one thing I want to be sure of, it's that I have responded the way God has asked me to respond. So that's what we're going to talk about today, how to be saved, how to become a Christian, how to respond to Jesus. But I want to lay out some ground rules. Whenever my son and I, we, he likes to box and wrestle with me sometimes, we have to lay out some ground rules. No biting, no kicking, no pulling any hair. Those are the ground rules. So here's some ground rules today. Number one, listen objectively. We're not going to preach a denominational doctrine today. So if you have a denominational heritage of Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or non-denominational or nothing or everything, I'm going to ask you today, would you put it all aside, even your family heritage, everything you've ever been taught, and let's just open up the word of God and let this be our guidebook. Amen. That's number one. That's the first ground rule. 
Number two, would you commit to coming all three weeks of this series? This is week number one, how to be saved. We're going to do three. You might leave here today with more questions and answers. Comprehensively, you're going to understand more if you come all three weeks. And number three, if you have any questions that just can't wait for next Sunday, would you just email me and text me? It would be an honor to sit down with you and open up the word of God and walk through God's plan of salvation. And let me add one more that I don't have on my list. Can we just all agree, three words, God knows best. Would you say that with me? God knows best. Not my mom and dad, but I love my mom and dad. And not my church and not any denominational headquarter in some other city telling me what to believe. At the end of the day, God knows best best, no matter what. I have to make a confession this morning. You will almost never hear me put down the church, but I'm discouraged about this one aspect of the church. You can go to 25 different churches and ask them how to be saved and you might get 25 different answers. And that's discouraging to me. There shouldn't be that many different views and teaching on how somebody becomes a Christian. But the, and then I stop and think about it, and I think if I was Satan, if I was the devil, if there's one thing I would try to muddy the water in, it would be God's plan of salvation. Isn't that what you would try to confuse us with? I heard about one man who went forward to give his life to Christ, and the person accepting him told him to sit down and say a prayer. And so while he was praying, another man came up and said, would you, would you fill out this card? And then while he was filling out a, the card, an usher walked up and said, look for the light, look for the light. Whenever I was saved, I saw a light. And then another man came up and said, hold on. And then somebody else came up and said, let go. (laughs) And he said, by the time I said a prayer and filled out a card and looked for some light and held on and let go, I nearly went to hell. (laughs) And, And the confusion and all that, let's not be confused today on what God said on this matter. If there's anything we want to get right, we want to get this right. So let's walk through five steps, five things that God has asked us to do to be saved. Number one, this this one might surprise you if you're taking notes. It is to hear. Did you know that? Hearing is important to the gospel. This may sound too elementary, but in order for someone to become a Christian, they must first hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The word gospel means good news. How can someone believe in something that they've never heard? And that is why the church gets fanatical about sending missionaries out and preachers out and people out to spread the gospel of Jesus so that people can hear. There are many people, and I I hate to say this, there are many people dying and going to hell because they've never heard the gospel of Jesus, that God loves them, God created them, God is after them, he sent his son and he died for all of us and he raised from the dead three days later. They've never heard that, so they could never believe that. Romans 10 How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone's going to tell them? Unless someone's going to preach it? Let me just tell you this. That's why investing in a church is so important. 
You may think that you volunteered today or that you sung today or that you helped with communion today or you made bread or you're helping with sound is no big deal or, or you just being here is no big deal. You may think that giving in the offering plate is no big deal or participating in this church is no big deal. Let me just tell you this. Every time you commit to a church and you partake in what the church is doing, you are giving other people an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That is a big deal in God's book in God's eyes. Mark 16 said, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And by the way, sometimes I need to hear more than once. Are there any other men in the room today? Don't say amen. Sometimes men need to hear over and over again, right women? We have a, we have a hearing deficit disorder. She hasn't put it in those words. Well, I don't know what you put it. I really wasn't hearing what you were saying whenever you, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But sometimes I have to hear more than once. I don't know how many times I heard the gospel before I said yes. I don't know how many sermons I heard. I don't know how many times I heard about Jesus dying for me before I finally came forward and said, I surrender all. But sometimes you need to hear more than once. I was talking to a middle-aged gal a couple years ago who was questioning her parents and on the, it was a, on the phone counseling, and she was just railing on her parents. All my problems today are because mom did this and dad did this and and such and such. And after she went through about 15 minutes of that and she finally took a deep breath, I said, you do know your mom and dad love you, right? And I could feel, even though we're on the phone, I could feel her tension just kind of ease. And then she went off for another five more minutes on her mom and dad. And then after five minutes, they still love you. And then she went off another five minutes. They still love you. And she had to hear it over and over again, but it kept breaking her down and breaking her down. By the end of the conversation, six or seven times, I had to remind her. There was nothing I could say to her accusations, but I had to keep reminding her, mom and dad love you. And she finally broke. Sometimes we have to hear more than once about God's love for us. Number two, after you hear, we must believe. The scriptures teach that we must believe that Jesus is the son of God. This is another word for faith. To really believe. Ephesians chapter two, the text that I asked you to turn to, verse eight says this. For by grace, you are saved through what? Would everybody read that out loud with me, that first part? For by grace, you are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. What initiates saving grace? Faith does, believe. God's saving grace is triggered by our faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. But this is more than an intellectual belief that Jesus is the son of God. I hope you know that. This is more than just a head belief that Jesus is the son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died for me. He's alive today. I got to tell you, there's a whole lot of people who believe that, that have never said yes to Jesus. You know that, right? This is more than intellectual. James says faith without action is dead. It's not real faith. Believing without committing is not the kind of faith that saves. James said in chapter two, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. If you're sitting here today, and you believe Jesus is the Son of God, I just want you to know even the demons believe that, but they're not saved. This goes beyond belief. This goes beyond head. It goes to heart, and it goes to hands. Head, heart, hands. 
So illustration, I hope this doesn't happen. But let's say this, this fall, we get a hurricane warning here in Houston, Texas. <clears throat> Hold on. Hope this doesn't happen, but the news reporter says it's going to be worse than Harvey. And then he starts to give out all of his evidence up on the TV screen. He says the winds are going to be the fastest winds of any hurricane in history. The water is going to rise above every house that is built in Houston. Just, just a parable. Okay. And all the houses are going to be destroyed. And he says, everybody needs to evacuate. You need to go to the north or you need to go to the west, but you need to get out of town. Now, here's the deal. There's six and a half million people in Houston, in the greater Houston area. And let's just say, for the sake of this story, that one million of them leave town, but five and a half million stay in town. I ask you the question, who really believed the news reporter? The one million or the five and a half? The one million. Why? Their belief resulted in action. Faith without action is dead. John 3.18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So he says, you must hear, you must put your faith in Jesus or believe in Jesus. Number three, he commands us to repent. John MacArthur just wrote a book about repentance. He said, repentance is the most neglected teaching in the church today. So on the first day of the church, Acts chapter two, Jesus is preached. He says he dies. He's alive today. You put him on the cross. You crucified him. And everybody in the crowd says, I believe that. And they said, what must I do to be saved? Acts chapter two, verse 37. What must I do to be saved? What did Peter say in Acts chapter two, verse 38? He didn't say, well, you already believe there's nothing else you need to do. You already believe the message? Don't worry about it. You're in. No, he answers it. Verse 38, he says, Peter replied, what's the first word? Repent. And be baptized. How many of you? Just a few of you. Just the people living today. No, this is for every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and you get two things. Whenever you repent and are baptized, what, what are the two things? You get forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can you go to heaven without the forgiveness of sins? Can you go to heaven without the gift of the Holy Spirit? What do you do to get those two gifts? You repent and you are baptized. Well, to repent means to turn your life around. It means to make a U-turn. I used to be short-tempered, but now I'm long-suffering. I used to be unkind, but now I'm kind. I used to use dirty language, but now I don't use dirty language. I, I used to be this way, but now I'm this way. That's repentance. But to repent means you have to repent from something. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That second word, all, who is all? In the Greek, that word means all. I'm an amazing Bible theologian. Thank you very much. It means this. The person sitting to your right and the person sitting to your left is a dirty, rotten sinner. And the person sitting in your chair is a dirty, rotten sinner. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. And use your finger whenever you do it. It feels better whenever you say it. Not specifics. You don't need to use specifics. 
in this. But you have to admit, even if you don't believe this, even if you're in here and you guys are a bunch of loonies in here about Jesus, I don't even believe there is a Jesus. Even if you say that today, you have to agree with me on Romans 3.23. The human race has a problem. We have a problem, don't we? About two weeks ago, my wife and I were watching a 2020 on a Friday night. That was our first mistake. But the show was about a woman who poisoned her husband with antifreeze and he died. She murdered her husband. She got remarried five years later. She killed her second husband by poisoning him with antifreeze. It's amazing. A few years later, the cops were starting to catch up with her and they began to think she killed her two husbands. And so what does she do? She kills her daughter, staging it to look like she was the one who killed her two husbands. And we sat there and watched that and thought there is something wrong with the human race. To frame your daughter for murder and to try to kill her and she ended up surviving the poisoning, but to try to, there's for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The closer you grow in Christ, the deeper you become spiritually, the more sinful you start to see yourself. Let me catch. The more you grow with Jesus, the less impressed I should be with me and the more impressed I should be with him. I stop seeing everybody else's faults and I start seeing my own faults. Have you ever heard a Christian say, you know, the, the older I become, the more sinful I, I see myself. The more my sin, I, it's not that I catch everybody else's, it's that I'm starting to catch mine. I am really messed up. Acts chapter 20 says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 3 says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Romans chapter 2, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So let's dig a little deeper because repentance can be hard to understand. This is not just admitting you're a sinner. This is being sorrowful that you're a sinner. It's not just admitting you're a sinner and being sorrowful. It actually goes even farther than that. I heard about a man who bought a shirt from a store. On the back of his T-shirt, it said, shrink resistant. He thought, that's strange, shrink resistant. What does that mean? So he took it back to the store and he asked the lady behind the counter. uh, He showed her the tag, shrink resistant. What is that? And she replied with, it will shrink, but it just doesn't want to. That's what shrink resistant is. Well, this happens often. It's called external repentance. A situation bomb. Somebody's caught in sin. The marriage is in trouble. The job is in trouble. The finances are in trouble. The, uh, everything's about to implode. And so I'm sorry. I repent. There may even be tears. That's external repentance. When it's not really real in here. That's not a saving repentance. A friend of mine in the ministry, uh, with permission, he gave me to tell this, came to me letting me know he was struggling uh, looking at some things online, on the internet, in a sinful way. So he came to me to tell me he was caught. His wife was hurt. The family's in trouble. The marriage is in trouble. His job is in trouble. But whenever I dug in, he said this statement right here. He said, even if I lose my marriage, even if I lose my job, I want to be pure. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be whole before my God. There it is. That's repentance. Even if I lose it, 
I'm going after him. Even if I lose my family, I want to be pure before him. I'm not repenting just to save the situation. I am repenting because I love the Lord. It's called limitless repentance. I will go as low as I have to go. I will be made to look ridiculous, as ridiculous as I have to be in order to be pure before my God. Limitless repentance. A lot of people have limited repentance. I'll only look so bad. I'm not going to let myself look very bad before I repent. Second Corinthians chapter seven, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So let me give you three points of repentance, three aspects of repentance. Here they are. This is how you know you truly repented. You are convicted that you are a sinner. King David has adultery with Bathsheba, kills Uriah. He says, I am a sinner. He was convicted. Number two, you are crushed. This is remorse. This is tears. This is brokenness. Psalm 34 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You are crushed. But number three, you are changed. Judas betrayed the Lord and was sorrowful in tears. But he hung himself. He refused to change. Peter was sorrowful that he denied the Lord three times. But one month later, he's preaching the first gospel sermon. There's the difference. Both are sad. One was unwilling to change. The other was willing to change. I'm not the judge if he goes to heaven. And I'm so glad. But I do often hear this story. Somebody comes up and says, you know, I was saved when I was eight. I was saved when I was nine. I was saved when I was 11, but I don't remember that. I don't remember repentance. I think I got saved because all my friends were getting saved. I think I got saved because I knew my parents wanted me to do it. I knew what the preacher expected. I knew what the church was teaching, but there was no brokenness. There was no remorse. There was no brokenness over sin. And so I just got to let you know, I've done a lot of rebaptisms with adults who want to, for the first time, say, I'm going to repent and be baptized because in my memory, all I remember is baptism. I don't remember repentance. So we've done a lot of those. Number four, confess. This is not a word that means you go to your preacher and confess your sins. Though if you ever want to do that, I would delight in hearing all of your dirt That would be just a blast for me. I am just that little of a man to want to hear that stuff. But that is not what the word means in the New Testament. What it means is this, that you are willing to go public for Jesus. You're willing to profess or confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Here it is. Jesus didn't die on a cross in the corner of an alley where only a few people saw him. He died in front of thousands of people, totally humiliated for all of us. Do you remember that his garments were stripped from him? There's an embarrassment part of this that we don't talk about very much. He was willing to do that in front of all the world for you and me. If he's willing to do that for me, I should be willing to go public for him. Romans chapter 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Jeff Moore had just moved to a new town, a new community. He didn't know anybody, so he got involved in a slow-pitch softball league. And on his first game, he gets up to bat. He didn't know anybody, but when he's getting up to bat, he hears somebody in the crowd yell, 
go, Mr. Moore, you can do it. Go, Mr. Moore, hit that ball. And he was kind of surprised. He said, I didn't think anybody knew me here. And so he gets in his car after the game. His teenage son was there at the game with him. And he asked his teenage son, did you hear somebody yell, go, Mr. Moore, you can do it? And his teenage son said, yeah, that was me. And he said, why didn't you call me dad? Why did you call me Mr. Moore? And he said, I didn't want anybody to know that I knew you. Well, (laughs) when you're really submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will confess with your mouth. You will not be ashamed to say that he is your Lord and he is your savior. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever does what that teenage boy did before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. If you're unwilling to say, I believe in Jesus, your faith is not real. So if you decide... in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a respond to Jesus Sunday, and we're going to have a, a body of water ready if anybody who wants to publicly confess their faith in him. But before we do that, and we've done three baptisms already, before we do that, you will hear us ask the person in the water, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And it is at that opportunity that they can say, yes, I believe. And then we're going to ask him to repeat after us, I believe, and they will say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And you say, why would we have them do that? Whether it's in front of two people, 200 people, or 2,000 people, that is an opportunity to go public with your faith. It's neat to see a little kid say, that's my dad. It's neat to see a dad say, that's my daughter singing up there. And we ought to be willing to do that for our Lord. Number five. The scriptures command us to be baptized. My wife's and I anniversary is August 5th. Am I right? I had all week to study this and to look into it. You'd think I'd get that right. You know why it's August 5th? Because that's the day we had a wedding ceremony. We had a lot of things happen before that. I asked her to marry me. I bought a ring. So I didn't have any money come, come the wedding day. There were a lot of plans. There was a dress that was bought. There was a meal that was prepared. There was a honeymoon that was planned, and I planned that. Thank you very much. There were a lot of things that happened before it. There were a lot of things that happened after the wedding. But do you know the benchmark of our marriage is the day of our wedding ceremony, August 5th. I think that's the way the Lord intended it to be. That's the day I kissed her. That's the day I walked her out of the church building down the middle aisle. That's the day we gave our vows. That's the day we said, I do. That's the benchmark for our wedding. When is the benchmark for your faith? I believe the scriptures say it's at the point of baptism. Now, there's a lot of things that happen before that. There's a lot of things that happen after that. But there is a moment, there is a benchmark in history On the first day of the church, we already read this. When people asked Peter, what must we do to be saved? Peter replied in verse 38, he said two things, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It seemed to be the benchmark of their faith. How many people got baptized that day? 3,000. They didn't wait for the next day. They didn't wait for next week. They didn't wait to get a body of water. They didn't get wait for enough people to be able to baptize them. They were baptized that day. It must have been important and it was the benchmark of their faith. In verse 41, 
it says those who accepted his message were what? Baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Romans chapter 6 says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. And you say, wait a minute, how can I die to myself and live with Christ? Paul just said, when you are baptized, you are buried in water just as Jesus was buried in a grave. And when you come up out of that water, it's just like when Jesus came out of that grave alive, you too are now alive with Christ. Galatians chapter three says, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Question church, who is clothed with Christ? Everybody who's been what? Baptized. Who's clothed with Christ? Paul said, for all of you who have been baptized, have clothed yourself with Christ. You're not going to hear that teaching very often. But that's what the scriptures say. Matthew 28 gave us a commandment. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's a commission for disciples to go out, make disciples, and baptize. Make disciples and baptize. You know what my commission is up here today behind this music stand, this pulpit? I have been commanded by God to make disciples and to baptize. And I'm not going to apologize for that just because that's not a very popular teaching in the church today. That's what God commanded me to do. So that's what we're going to do. If he would have said, go into all the world, make disciples, and then run a marathon, we would all be eating better and running marathons. That's what we would be teaching. If he said, go into all the world and make sure everybody gives $1,000 and you can be saved, guess what we would do? We would teach you to give $1,000. And about that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's what we would teach. Admittedly, there is a lot of confusion on this one, on baptism. There's usually two extremes. There is one extreme that says baptism, if, if you are baptized, you are saved. And they just hammer, 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 hammer baptism all day long. That is how you get saved. And neglecting the hearing, believing, repenting, confession, faith, all those things. And it's all about baptism. That's not biblical. But then to counteract that, there is another teaching that says baptism has nothing to do with salvation whatsoever. And so we totally neglect the teaching altogether. But that's not scriptural either. It's in there. It's in there as much as belief is in there, numerically speaking. And so we take a balanced approach. It's not that baptism saves you, but believing, repenting, confessing, and baptism seems to clothe us all in Christ. I want to show you two charts. I wrote this with my own handwriting. Here's the first one. This is what I learned many years ago. This is how I walk somebody through God's plan of salvation. I talk about the five things that we just preached this morning, the five steps. Now, there's a reason that there's steps. Can you do step number two without doing step number one first? Can you believe something you've never heard? And can you repent in something that you don't even believe? And can you profess your faith in somebody you haven't put your faith in? 
And then the culminating act is baptism, immersion. So if this is something that helps you, I can get your hands, I can shoot you something through an email if this chart helps you. The second chart that I want to show you, spend a little bit more time on, is this. I don't know if you can read it. I wrote it pretty small. But there's two parts of salvation. There's God's part. He gave his son for us. He offered the atoning sacrifice through his son, Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves. Then there's our part. What has he asked us to do? On the bottom, you see here, believe, faith, repentance, confession, baptism. Now, I, I got a question for you. Are we supposed to jump up to God's part and start deciding who's saved and who's not? That's not our part. That's God's part. But here's the second question. When does God put the check mark and say you're saved? Does he do it after hearing? Does he do it between belief and repentance? Does he do it believe, uh, between repentance and confession? Does he put the mark right before baptism? Does he put it after baptism? Does he put it right on top of baptism? When does God put the check mark and say, you're in? When does he do it? I don't know. I don't know. That's not my part. I don't decide that. All I know is we have a part to play. And I'm going to let God put the check mark where he wants to put the check mark and when he wants to put the check mark there. But here's what we're going to preach and here's what we're going to teach. And if you are surrendered to Jesus, here's what you ought to do. You ought to believe and put your faith in him. You ought to repent and confess and be baptized and let God take care of where he puts the mark. So here's what we've got. Keep this chart up here for just a second. There are verses that tell us to believe and you will be saved. Is there not? We read a couple of them. But do they ever mention repentance or confession or baptism? They don't. There are some verses that mention repentance and baptism, but they never mention belief. There are some verses, Romans chapter 10, that mention confession, but they never mention belief or repentance. Does that mean belief and repentance are out? And so here's what we teach. We don't teach, take one verse and build your entire theological system on one verse. We believe we build a theological system on all of them. And if he said to believe, and if there's another verse that says repent, and if there's another verse that says confess, and if there's another verse that says be baptized, then we're not going to pick one of the verses and say, that's what we believe. We're going to believe them all. Is anybody else with me? That's what I want to do. Now, I may have a theological, I may have a family heritage that says, well, you, you don't need to do one of those. That's not the point. I'm going to believe them all. Let's go back to natural disasters. We'll do tornado this time. Uh, I saw the look on your face and I said hurricane and there was not a pleasing look. If a news reporter said a tornado is on the ground, it's going to your house, Bill. There's no doubt about it. And he says, you need to get in a basement or a storm cell. And let's just say you have a basement. I know you don't have a basement because I know where you live. But let's just say you had a basement. And he said, you need to go in your basement. You need to get in the middle of the basement. You need to put stuff on you. Protect your family. Newborn baby. Here we go. Protect your family. What would Bill do? It would be strange if Bill said, you know what? I, uh, I have a friend who had a news report a couple years ago and the news reporter said a tornado was coming to his house and he didn't have a basement, so he didn't go in the basement and he survived. You know what? I'm not gonna go in my basement either. 
if he can survive without a basement, I'm just not even going to go in my basement. Is that what Bill would do? Well, that's what people are doing with salvation. Hey, I know somebody who believed and they didn't have an opportunity to be baptized. And if they weren't baptized, I'm not going to be baptized. I'm not going to do it. And I believe they're okay. I believe they're in heaven so you can count me out. That, you know what that is? That is not an attitude of repentance. That is an attitude of I'm going to do as little as I can possibly do to be right with God. And so you may say, well, do I have to do all the things up there? It's not for me to decide. It's just for me to teach. In Acts chapter 8, there's a story of a man who was reading the Bible. He didn't know what he was reading. And so an evangelist named Philip comes up and he starts to teach him. Here's what happens. Verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? He's reading Isaiah, Old Testament book called Isaiah. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. I had a conversation this last week with a man from Europe who just raked me over the coals for being a Christian. And he sat there and told me everything that's wrong with the Bible, everything that's wrong with Jesus, everything that's wrong with Christianity. And I got to hear that for about two hours. It was delightful. And as he sat there and told me, this is what's wrong with the Bible, I would give the best answer I could give. But then he'd go on and he'd go on another rant. He said, this is what's wrong with Jesus. And then I'd give the best answer. This is what's wrong with the church. And I'll give you the best answer I could give. And finally, I just stopped answering. There was nothing I could say. I just let him go. Until finally, he took a breath and I put this in there. You know what? All those things you say, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Jesus died for me and I believe he's alive today. I believe he came back from the grave. And whoever dies and comes back to life three days later, I follow him. I'm with him. And whoever predicts it and does it, I'm following that guy. So all those things you say about the Bible, I don't know. All those things you say about the church, I don't know. But he's alive today and I choose to surrender my life and respond to him. And he looked at me for the first time in silence. And he said, good point. Now, I don't know where he is this morning. I don't know if I planted a seed or watered a seed. I don't know if he's ever going to give his life to Christ. He may be sitting in his home telling his wife, you won't believe this loony guy I ran into the other day. I don't know what he's saying, but here's what I do know. If you believe that Jesus died for you and came back to life for you and he's alive today, what is hindering you from being baptized? If you believe with all your heart, you may. Let's pray. Father, it's a great morning to be in church and to gather together, and it's a great morning to open up your word. Father, I pray that this was clear, and I pray that it penetrated hearts, not for venture's sake, not for any church's sake, but for your sake and for people's sake. And there may be people within the sound of my voice today who has never responded to Jesus as the scriptures say to respond to Jesus. 
and there may be a lot of questions right now rolling through people's minds. I have questions about where the check mark goes. But Father, I pray that we have such a heart that we would simply obey. And you say, when we love you, we will obey your commands. And Father, if we do, on that day of judgment, we will not have to be surprised at what you say to us. Father, we love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.